Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last year was a tough one in St. Louis. All too frequently, children were lost to gun violence. The situation reached such a boiling point, the city coughed up $5 million for a program aimed at curbing violence in some of the hardest-hit neighborhoods. That program, called Cure Violence, hasn't launched in St. Louis yet, but the new year is already off to a bloody start. Four people were killed before 3 a.m. on New Year's Day, three of them in a triple homicide. A fifth died before noon. The year's violent beginnings have St. Louisans again calling for change, and the police department is again in the hot seat. So joining me in studio to talk about it is St. Louis Police Chief John Hayden. Chief Hayden, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So after a brutal 2019, you must have been looking forward to turning a new page to a new year and a fresh start. Did you have a sense on New Year's Day of, oh boy, here we go again? I really did. I think that um, um, what happened in the first 24 hours of the new year was very disturbing. I think it, it concerned a lot of people. Uh, I would tell you that um, uh, certainly those those investigations are very active, and we're learning some things that we didn't know on January 1st. And so I'm, I'm optimistic about arrests in, in several of the cases. Have any arrests been made yet in, in any of those? No, there's there hasn't been any arrests made yet. There are certainly um, several persons of interest, and I believe that some of those um, investigations will be culminating with arrests um, sometime soon. Okay. And are there anything that we know at this point about those killings that might give reassurance to people living in neighborhoods um, that maybe they or their families aren't at risk for these sorts of killings? Sure. I would I would say that um, the so far each one appears to be rather personal. In, in other words, um, I know that the, the, the one that ca- caught most people's attention would have been the one where there were three people killed at one time. Um, I think that it's it's it may be fairly common knowledge that we did recover weapons on that scene, and um, hey, that 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 could have happened anywhere where the same set of people met that was event driven, and where the same people would have been together if that event would have, you know, whatever street that event would have happened on, if the same people would have encountered one another, um, we're, we're quite certain that the same response would have happened. Okay, so this was not random. These people knew each other. That is it. Well, I'm just going to I'm just going to say that 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 it was event driven. That's all I can say right now. Event driven in that but for that event uh, it wouldn't have happened, but at the same time had that event happened somewhere else, same people there, same thing would have likely have happened. Okay. So you're looking into all those. You say we may see some arrests very soon. Oh, I'm I'm very optimistic that we'll see some arrests soon. Okay. Also in this new year, you've taken some criticism from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and your strategy in the past couple years was based on something that we all call Hayden's Rectangle, and that was an area on the north side that you had said was responsible for two-thirds of the city's homicides, carjackings, and other violence. And now the Post-Dispatch is saying that that wasn't correct, that this area was responsible for just one-third of such crimes before you turned your attention to it. Is that a problem? If you start with faulty data, how can you even begin to understand the problem you're trying to take on. Certainly. So so I wouldn't say that it was faulty data. I think that certainly we didn't have independent uh, persons looking at it. I know that they, they talked to a couple of professors. I think the point is, is that when I first came to the job, what I had counted, and remember, I was the commander of the North Patrol Division for five years preceding becoming chief. You knew so this area very well. I knew well. it very well, and I knew uh, uh, the neighborhoods very well. I had known about many of the neighborhoods that I had gone to, shootings, and, and I'm so, so very familiar with, with, with some of the the themes of the of the various neighborhoods. So what what's what's true is that sixty seven percent of the homicides did happen in the North Patrol Division. What's not true is that sixty seven percent of the homicides happen in the rectangle. 
somewhere along the way, and like I said, I, and I went to numerous meetings, numerous uh, uh, community meetings, that type of thing. Somewhere along the way, th- that you know th- those those concepts got conflated. I, I'm on I'm on accept responsibility for any misunderstanding about it. But at the end of the day, what I what I what I chose was areas uh, that had clearly had a lot of violence, so, and not just. The, the over the years, you know, fi- like I said, five years of observation, and so I was very comfortable with saying, could I focus on these and get some results? And I think the the, the the really the challenge that I had with the article is that they sent us questions and we responded, but they left out the results. And so you can say that hey, we question whether or not um, um, Hayden's rectangle is fine tuned enough, but what they didn't put in there is that that first year we had 23 less homicides. 77 less robberies and 113 less aggravated assaults in that area. That's the only reason why we tweeted because it was interesting that you asked that information, it was provided. So you can say, you can question my, uh, you know, why I came up with the rectangle, but but certainly the results, in other words, it wasn't data driven, but certainly it was result proven. And did the results end up holding up in the second year of operations in that rectangle? Absolutely. So what I would say is that so, so we did have two more homicides than we had the year before. So the first year there was a 23 uh, deficit in homicides, 23 homicides less. The second second year was 21. Now that was two more than the previous year, but it's still 21 less than um, 2017. Okay. And so, uh, so certainly the effort is worthwhile. But now, now, now looking at it, hey, I've been there two years. Uh, I was operating on uh, a data that was a year old at the time. So now we have three years. And so certainly I've advised we have a, a crime analyst that work for the department. Uh, the manager uh, the manager is a lady by the name of Emily Blackburn. She was uh, uh, mentioned in that article. But point being is that I, I didn't take that as something that we can't tweak. And certainly um, I've always asked the, the captains to be very vigilant with respect to um, violent crime patterns that appear because we always want to – I promised neighbors that we would – we would look at those as well. So it's not just, hey, the, rec- the rectangles are default locations, but at the same time, anywhere a violent crime pattern would appear, I would expect the captains and the majors to address it. You'd want to be on that. Absolutely. Now, you recently also brought that rectangle strategy to parts of Dutchtown and downtown. How are the efforts going in those areas? Well, it, interesting enough, both of them, uh, the other areas, had decreases in homicides. You know, um, uh, Since you came since, there. Since, right. So we, so we added the central um, um, rectangle and we added the, so- the southern one, both in those patrol divisions. And so um, both of those experienced decreased homicides in 2019. And so, again, we, we really believe that, that sticking to the, rec- the rectangle or zone concept is valid. And again, of course, we, we can always tweak. We can always um, do other things that would get us more bang for our buck, if you will. But I think the, the notion of focusing on zones is something that we'll stick with, particularly when we're talking about things that are driven by um, of drugs and those types of other social ills. What does an increased focus on those zones look like in reality? So in reality, what it looks like is a lot more self-initiated activity with respect to open-air drug markets. We know that, for example, 50% of our homicides are drug-related. And so it only makes sense is that if you have a place that, that is known for drug activity, we want, we want to either stamp that out with patrol, we want to stamp it out with, uh, we have a drug enforcement investigation unit, we want, we want to do search warrants, we want to shut down houses, because there's always a, a strong correlation between drug activity and shootings. Mm-hmm. And so, we, we, so, so, that it, so it looks like a, a, a focus on self-initiated, self-initiated activity. Uh, Police aren't waiting for calls. No, They're we're going not waiting out, for them. You're going out. And so like, we put our mobile reserve, our, uh, our SWAT, 
our anti-crime task force, we focus on neighborhoods that, are, and like I said, and, and, and uh, all of them have been identified, but we focus on those neighborhoods within those zones and particularly look for um, open-air drug markets. In particular, it's probably the number one uh, driver with respect to violent crime. So Alderman Sam Moore's ward is largely inside that North City rectangle, and he told the Post-Dispatch, we need more visibility and we don't have it yet. We need our on-duty patrolmen to patrol. Criminals know that by the time they commit their crime, police won't show up, won't be there. If he's feeling that way even within that rectangle, um, that seems like a concern. It seems like if anybody should be seeing boots on the ground, it should be in Alderman Moore's ward. What do you think is going on there? Sure. So I talk to Alderman Moore regularly. I mean, he, he brings um, situations to my attention, and so um, I think when he, when when we're concerned about something in particular, we're we're able to address his concern. But at the same time, I think what Alderman Moore is feeling is our 135 uh, deficit in officers, and we have, we're 135 officers short. We're trying. We're, we know we, we we are increasing our recruiting, but at the same time, hey, if I had 20, if I had all 135 officers that are authorized. That would be a, a 23, 24 more officers per district, which would be huge with respect to visibility. What do you think is the biggest impediment at this point to hiring good officers? Clearly, I speak to the. We have four recruiters. We have two of our own. They're sergeants. Um, the police foundation um, uh, has hired a a, um, a um, recruiter to help us, and then a fuse fellow that works for the mayor's office is also helping us. All four would tell you the first thing that comes up when they talk about um, recruitment is residency. First thing that comes up each time. People course, don't want to move to the city, or I think I think people want to do is have the autonomy to live where they want to, and and and, and we're the only um, um, department in this region that has one, and so I think people just want to be able to say, hey, if I'm comfortable with this school district, if I'm comfortable with this parish, or what have you, I just don't want to be disrupted by some inconvenience. Hey, I thought you all really needed police officers. Why are you asking me to do something so inconvenient when all the other departments around the region? don't have one. Now, Jeff Ruerta, who is the general manager of the union, uh, the biggest union that you're dealing with in your department, he has said that he thinks pay is actually a bigger issue. Um, do you think he's wrong about that then? No, I think he's right about that. I think the key is, is that uh, Jeff Ruerta would be talking about retention. So he, so he's talking about current officers. So I, I, I would say that for recruitment, mm -hmm. the first thing that comes up is residency. Retention could very well be pay, and certainly it's a close second either way. But I'm just I'm just reporting back to you what I'm told by recruiters. They're going out, they're talking to people, uh, attending job fairs, and the first thing that comes up, uh, hey, are you ready to sign the line? As they say, hey, what about having? I heard you guys, you have to move to the city. Well, I have to move in the city, and of course. Uh, the residential requirement would, would require them to move into the city. And I know the mayor now is she's going to work with people in Jeff City to try to get this passed. We've talked to Republicans who say they're on board for trying to help her with that. At the same time, are you worried that we lose something by having police officers not go back to houses in the city at night? Their cruiser isn't parked on a city street. Their neighbors don't see them going in and out. Yeah, I, I just think that that's something that 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 doesn't have a actual tangible. Um, uh, uh, tangible results, if you will. Um, I know that that's a, that's a great feeling, but hey, what I want to be able to do is when someone dials 911 to send a police over that police officer over there, and I want to send them there quickly. And so I think that 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 I'm I'm thankful that it's being considered on the state level. 
I'm really hopeful that it'll pass because I really think it will be a game changer with respect to safety in our city. Now, talking to some people in the law enforcement sphere, I've heard a concern that they suspect that some St. Louis police officers feel attacked by the circuit attorney's office, and so they've quietly decided just to do the bare minimum. They're keeping their head down. Maybe they're surfing the Internet on their shift rather than proactively going out and doing everything that they could do. Do you think that's a fair concern? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that officers feel that the circuit attorney's office has attacked them. I think there's certainly... Um, um, they feel a, a greater scrutiny of report writing and requirements. I know that um, the circuit attorney ran on, ran on a piece about justice reform. And so, I, hey, that's, I think that's a sign of the times, but I think that it, it certainly hasn't, um, it hasn't seemed to affect the zeal of officers, their enthusiasm with respect to trying to fight crime. I think that they're all excited. They just hope that, the, that when they put it all together that they can get warrants issued. And that's, I think sometimes um, they're, they're asked to follow up and, um, you know, do more follow up than they want to do or, or, or just more follow up than what they thought was required. And so I think that's a there's a, 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 a that's something that we're uh, that, that's probably getting better. But at the same time, hey, if I really thought I'd put my best foot forward and and it doesn't work out like I thought, then I'm questioning. At least, I, you know, I'm hoping that at some point there could be some type of checklist where if I have all my T's crossed and all my I's dotted that this could be a presentation that warrants issued. So do you think on balance what the circuit attorney has asked for um, from them in these individual cases is fair? I think that if they if they believe that, that when it comes to evidence that, that the, the, the likelihood of success, successful prosecution is 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 greater when they're asking for other evidence, I mean I, hey that we we don't question hey we you know we all you need in other words all you need for arrest is probable cause. You need proof beyond a reasonable doubt for a conviction, and so if there's a if there's some 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 gray area that that has been presumed over the years, and now we're asking to produce it, I think as long as it's something that we can get, we're willing to get. Okay. Overall, are you concerned about morale within the department? I, you know what, we have our, we our officers work very hard every day. I think that our officers are focused on um, um, arresting criminals. You know, we, we have a really a really strong focus on violent criminals. And so I haven't seen anybody not excited about catching a carjacker or catching a shooter. So, I mean, I, to me, I think that um, officers are on board with that. And, and again, sometimes they, they're, they're asked to provide additional information on some things. Hey, as long as they can get the information, I think it works out in the end. But, um, hey, maybe we're not used to uh, being questioned uh, to the degree uh, that, that's being required. Right okay, now. but it sounds like you think that relationship is getting a little better as as time goes. I think I think that it will. I think that it, it certainly may have improved since last year, and I think as years go on, we would just it's 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 a paradigm shift, and I think that we are meeting the challenge. Now, at the same time, um, there's also some pressure from the aldermen, and they're agitating to get the department split into nine police districts again instead of six. How do you feel about that? Well, here's the challenge to 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 spread this to spread us thinner than we already are, is it's not going to accomplish what they would hope. I think they want to do it for visibility's sake. Well, if I'm, uh, if, in other words, if, if, if you have the same number of officers mm-hmm. and you spread them thinner, in some areas, um, that's not going to help what they're looking for. They want more visibility. And so what I would like to do is, is really, I, right now we have, we're right in the middle of a records management uh, a changeover. We, we're, we're trying to get standardized throughout the country with respect to report writing so that our reports uh, um, comport with all reports being written across the country. That's a, that's a very, and, it's, and it's plus it's a federal mandate. 
very labor intensive. That being said, maybe by, maybe in the summer we can kind of take a look at starting crunch numbers. But again, any plan that says have all all districts with the same number of officers is really going to not be the best fit because I think that before prior to city control, we never had the same number of officers and districts we had where there were more violent crimes occurring. We had more officers. I really think that's the best thing, not not some plan that says spread them very thin and put everybody with the same. Because there's, let's just be honest, there's not a demand uh, for, for, for police presence in some areas, or there's greater demand in others. We also asked some of our listeners on social media if they had any questions for you. There were a couple that, that seemed like some pretty good questions. Um, Sharifa writes, please ask Chief Hayden if he is looking into the infiltration of illegally obtained guns in the city. Gun control is good, but it's safe to say that most of the gun crimes committed involve illegal weapons. How are they getting into the hands of children and teens? Is that something that you guys are actively investigating? Sure, we, we, are, we are involved. So we're on a task force with the... Um, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And so that's more of their piece of, about guns coming into a city. That's, that's kind of a federal piece, but certainly we work closely with them. We are, we're on a task force with the, um, the ATF. And so the, the answer to the question is, yes, we are interested in the flow of guns into the city, and, and, and the f- federally they're helping us with that project. Tori asks, how has the Mobile Crisis Prevention Team pilot program that's police and volunteer social workers coordinating at a call for service been received within the department? I think it's been received very well within the department. We did do a pilot. And what I, what I, what, what, you know, by, by only being, you know, the only one of the few agencies that are open 24 hours, quite often there are persons that we think would be better served with some type of social intervention than arrest, but sometimes it's all we have. You know, they may be, they, 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 in other words, they may be, in fact, technically committing a crime, but they need some type of help, and we think that their um, behavior is indicative of somebody that would be better served by a social service. So the ability to hand a, a, a client off to some other agency that would be, like I said, not to say that you're minimizing the crime, but I think even even the victim would realize that if a person wasn't thinking properly, that they would be willing that that, that culpable mental state is not there. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we appreciated the, the opportunity to pass a person off to somebody in a social service setting. And I thought that was very great. And I think that's going to grow. So there is a desire to grow that program? Absolutely. Will, will it take more resources financially in order to make that happen? Not necessarily, because I think that the, uh, the, 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 the social service networks are the ones that are going to be giving their office. I mean, I, not, 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 what, I'm, what I'm not certain of is housing fund, of course, everything costs something. But I don't think it's necessarily something that's going to cost the police department more. Okay. So that you're all on board. I'm on board. <laughs> now, since your appointment as chief two years ago, you've dealt not only with all this violent crime in the city, but also many of your own officers have been charged with various crimes, you know, killing each other in a game of Russian roulette, um, in one recent case, giving a, quote, rough ride to a suspect. Has the amount of work that needs to be done within this department just sometimes felt overwhelming to you. No, you know what? I'm, I've been, been, been on the department for 33 years. When you talk about a lot of the, the misconduct issues, I was the commander of the Internal Affairs Division for You've six years. You've seen all this stuff. And so I've seen a lot of it, and then I have some very competent um, investigators and commanders looking into it. And so, hey, what, 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 I, what, I, what I really am clear about is that, hey, I'm not going to let uh, the misconduct of one officer tarnish the badges of, of everyone else. And so if, if there is something that needs to be addressed, we're going to handle it, and officers will be held accountable. Do you think the culture as a whole within the department is a problem? No, I, I, just, I think that, that, that 
the 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 incidents I guess some, sometimes don't seem isolated. But if you really think about it, the 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 the, the hundreds of thousands of contacts that we have, you really have a, a small number of incidents. But the incidents are very high profile. Mm-hmm. And so again, I, I think that we have been we have been addressing those properly. When the FBI is involved, we, you know we we are cooperative and assisting in those investigations. And if it's a state level issue, we are we are presenting those charges to the circuit attorney's office. So I think that uh, our track record on being accountable and and being a, an agency of integrity has been pretty solid over the past couple of years. So we're here in just the first couple of weeks of 2020. What do you see as your biggest goal for the coming months? The, the biggest goal, goal for the coming months is really to see some of the some of the violence uh, slow down, the rate at which some of these uh, incidents happen. And so, uh, and I'm I'm optimistic because we did some things at the end of the year, the middle to the end of the year that I really am hoping to reap the benefits from in 2020. One is that we we joined a task force with the uh, the ATF. That's a, that's a gun crime strike force. It's totally focused on shooters, and and we and it kind of got up and running near the near near the end of the summer. But I'm really hoping that's going to really take root, and we really get a bunch of folks that that have uh, shown a propensity towards shootings to really get them off the streets. The second thing that I'm really hoping to reap a lot of benefits from is you saw where we uh, I think uh, the U.S. Marshals and the Police Department, another task force, we arrested some 162 persons, and many of whom were violent gang members, violent offenders. These are people and out there with old felony warrants. That's exactly right. But I guess my point is, is that we're hoping that some of the some of the behavior that they did in 2019 won't be able to be possible in 2020. So there's some things to look forward forward to. We also want to work more. You know, the and you mentioned the uh, the, the number of school aged children that were victims this year. Very concerning to us. We're going to be a lot more deliberate and intentional with respect to our messaging in elementary schools as well as high schools. I've already contacted our juvenile division. They already we already do school visits, but we, uh, myself, the commanders, the officers are really going to be really strong in messaging about um, behaviors that are risky. Really getting to those high schools, really getting some dialogue with those kids, so that they can so lifestyles can change uh, away from lives of you know the kind of. Uh, risk toward violence. Well, Police Chief John Hayden, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.